Hi, this is Steve Roost, and you're listening to Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio. Each week, we give you the best news, views, and interviews from the health technology world. From CEOs and founders to entrepreneurs and clinicians, the companies and people that are shaping the future face of healthcare. All on the world's number one talk health radio. Hello and welcome to this week's Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio. My name is Steve Roost and each week we bring you the best news, views and interviews from the people and companies who are leading the health tech revolution in the UK and beyond. I am a CEO and founder of a health tech company myself and I'm passionate about the people and companies who are changing the world. Before we get into today's show, please make sure you follow the show on Instagram and Twitter, which is at Health Tech Hour. And follow the station, which is at UK Health Radio. We've got a whole bunch of new presenters, a whole bunch of great content. So please make sure you stay on top of that. So today's show, um, on today's show, we're continuing our exploration of the social care crisis and companies that are using technology to alleviate and address the major issues facing, facing the sector, using technology to improve the quality of care and improve conditions for carers. As we've covered many times before, uh, most recently with Fergus and Matthew Dunster from Digital Home Visits a couple of weeks ago, the pressure on the social care sector in the UK is immense. There's an estimated shortfall of 100,000 carers. There's 2 million beds being blocked um, in hospitals each year due to the lack of social care provision for people trying to leave hospital. Um, And there's obviously an ever-increasing demand due to an aging population and ever-increasing complexity due to the increasing complexity of of people's health issues and and their conditions. So today we're going to hear a new take on the social care crisis and and how it can be solved with Rachel Crook, who is the CEO and founder of Lifted, which is an early stage health tech company on a mission to revolutionize home care. Tech and the use of data to improve care is at the heart of what Lifted do uh, and inside two years, they've delivered over 150,000 hours of care. They've won many awards, including most recently, a few weeks ago, the award for best home care provider. So, Rachel, how are you? Welcome to the show. Hi there. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really well, thanks. How are you? I'm good. I know that you've been in bed with flu. Are you back at it? I was hoping to hide that fact. I was hoping to bring enough energy that you couldn't tell. Um, right. Yes, no, I'm back. It's good you, that you are back. It's good that you didn't speak to me yesterday. I sounded like a Dalek. Um, whereas today I'm just a couple of octaves lower than usual. Okay, yeah, slightly husky, but you know, yeah, yeah exactly. According to according to Johan, our sound engineer, the, the levels are fine, so I think we can we Excellent. can carry on. So I ask everyone this who comes on the show: um, How are you, and what is the mood in the camp like at the moment at Lifted? Um, I am well, really well compared to compared. I'm really well and excited about being here. Um, the mood in the camp at Lifted is profoundly optimistic. As you heard a couple of weeks ago, we became the best home care company in the country, beating all of the industry incumbents um, and the most innovative healthcare organisation. So um, I'm sitting next to the awards, and everyone keeps looking at them and enjoying them. So I think everyone is really excited. Good. That's excellent. So regular listeners on the show, uh, regular listeners to the show will know that we do this in three parts. So the first is more of an origins about how you came to be doing all of the phenomenal stuff that you're doing at Lifted. Um, the middle part is really around 
what Lifted is doing, particularly around, you know, the innovative use of technology to solve some of the issues or alleviate some of the issues that, that you know, are widely discussed in the media in the sector. And then I think the, the final bit is really more around lessons and behaviours that you have found valuable to you and that you might want to sort of share with with the listeners. So let's let's get started. Um, how what was your journey like or when did your journey into social care and health tech sort of start? Like how, how, what was the beginning point for you? Um, I think the beginning point for me was, was pretty clear. Um, I was 24. I was doing a master's at Oxford in international relations. Um, and I went home for Christmas and my mum was diagnosed with early onset dementia. And she was 56. And we'd sort of known it was coming for a while, um, but it was still a huge shock to the system. It wasn't what we expected at all. Um, and pretty quickly, my life changed. You know, the person, one of the people that I love most in the world, pretty quickly lost the ability to look after herself. And us as a family really struggled with that. Um, and I was really shocked by that experience. I was shocked by how little support there was for us. The kind of doctor said to us, you know, she'll probably live eight to 10 years, but there's no support and you probably shouldn't try and seek any. So see you in a year and good luck, which just seems pretty inadequate to me. Um, it was very difficult to find care when we knew she needed care. The care workers themselves weren't treated very well. And the whole experience in which technology had transformed so many services that we received. So from how you get your food to how you move around the city, technology really hadn't touched this most vital service. And that seemed really strange to me. And that frustration drew, grew and grew in me. It was really clear to me that it was not a problem that was unique to me. The demand for care will double in the next 15 years. Um, and then I, I graduated from Oxford and I went into government. And a few years later, I was a senior advisor in the Prime Minister's Implementation Unit as a civil servant. And I was asked to look at why are so many people stuck in hospital and what could we do about it? And it became very clear to me that one of the reasons for that was the failures in social care. Um, and it was obvious to me that there was then this huge social need that I really cared about my, with my own personal experience. And there was also a huge market. I left government and went into McKinsey. And it was very clear to me that there was this huge commercial opportunity. You know, the care market's worth 22 billion today and going to double in the next 15 years, um, as I mentioned. So it was so obvious to me that actually this was a thing that was just destroying people's lives. And I really wanted to be part of using my skills to change it. Wow. Yeah, I think that is obviously a pretty, that's a very, um, I would say personal mission. I think we've had quite a few, quite a lot of the founders that come on the show have a personal mission and a personal story about why they got involved in, in, in doing what they were doing. And so when you um, when you left Oxford, what were and you, you moved into government? Was that something that you wanted to do? Was that very was that sort of why you went back to Oxford to get your second degree? Or was that was that part of the plan or was that something somewhat spontaneous? Um, so I'd, I'd always been interested in government. My mum actually was a senior civil servant. I come from four generations of public sector workers. Wow. And so in the um, family, in the family, except um, now, I, obviously, now I work in the, in the private sector. So it's, it's very different, um, although obviously with a social mission. So I'd always been interested in government because I thought, you know, if you want to impact change in people's lives then the government, you know, is one of the people that has the biggest levers and, and the most cash to do it. Um, and so it was a really brilliant opportunity and I, and I really enjoyed it. And, you know, I had a great time. I went to the GH. That was amazing. I worked on counter extremism. That was really cool. Um, you know, I, I got to work directly for the prime minister. That was awesome. But it became clear to me that if I wanted to deliver innovative change and I wanted to direct that change, then I needed to control the organization myself and I need to be able to access my own source of financing. And so that was what made me think, you know, if you want to innovate, sometimes it's easier to do that outside government. And is that for any particular reason that you was there something that led you to that conclusion or was it just sort of an, a kind of an accumulation of different experiences while in, during your time in government? Um, I think there's two things. I think there's a fundamental thing, which is that 
if you are a civil servant, you're not elected. The ministers were elected and it's their vision that's being delivered. And that's right, right? I didn't stand for election. No one said to me that they agreed with my policies. But ultimately, I wanted to be the person that was able to create the vision. Um, and I think the second thing is just that um, I sort of felt frustrated that sometimes I would put together all this evidence and you present it to ministers and say, you're, you're absolutely right, we should do something about this. But it wasn't the top priority, so they kind of move on. Right. Um, and I just felt to be closer to the action, I wanted to be part of making that change. And that said, like I, I had a brilliant time in government and, and I, would, I would go back um, in the future. And I think it's now much more easier to innovate in government than it was in the past. But yeah. Okay. And then when you were at McKinsey, so you moved to McKinsey, which for those people listening, McKinsey is one of the <clears throat> largest, most successful consulting firms in the world. Extremely great reputation. Um, many, many more entrepreneurs go to McKinsey and then go on and start their own companies. It's sort of a, <clears throat> a fairly, a fairly sort of um, common pathway. Um, and so when you were there, were you working on anything in this in this sector um, that could sort of triggered you to think again? Oh, my goodness. Yes this is something that I should then take on. It's interesting. I wasn't working on healthcare per se. Um, what I was working on was actually female entrepreneurship. Okay. Um, so there was a big review of the lack of female entrepreneurs in the UK and globally, but particularly in the UK, that was run by RBS, Royal Bank of Scotland. Um, and McKinsey did all of the data analysis on it. And the McKinsey, I was in the McKinsey team that did a lot of that analysis. And it became very clear to me that, you know, there was a real lack of female entrepreneurs and a lot of the barriers were kind of psychological and I met these amazing women I'd always thought I wasn't good enough I'd always thought like yeah I'm not smart enough I don't have enough money I can't do this um and then I met these women and I thought well they're great but I'm pretty sure I'm as smart as them and I'm pretty sure I can make this happen and then this passion I think the other thing as well is while my mum was really really unwell it was just too emotionally difficult to touch something that was so related Mm. Um, and as she became more unwell she moved into a care home and it gave me a bit of space to sort of actually have a bit of my time back because before that every moment of annual leave I'd taken to be a carer so right. I couldn't I couldn't think about starting a company um, and then I was very lucky I met a venture builder called Zero One and they had been working um, with corporates actually thinking about innovation in the social care space um, and they had already had kind of a lot of the tech resources and some of the ideas and we joined forces and I think the impetus of that plus the work I did on female entrepreneurship made me feel like this is something that I, I can do and I want to do. Okay and was it very clear that the thing that you wanted to do was something in social care? from that point absolutely I mean the venture builder had already been thinking about social care already so I, I didn't I, you know I, I want to be clear I didn't incorporate lift it all by myself like they were already thinking about it and I came and joined them um and yeah it was clear to me I mean it, it is the problem of our generation you know and I think it's very interesting over the last couple of months the government are kind of awakening to that that and the climate crisis are probably the two things yeah. that are kind of the, the the problems of our generation that are seismic in terms of their financial implications for the country you know one in 12 people will quit their jobs um, every year to care for a loved one. I, I mean, it's it's insane. I like that we've had Fergus Hay, who who runs digital, he's the chairman of, of Vida Health, who I know that you know. Yeah. Um, and, and some of the statistics that, that they came out. I think, to be honest, one of the reasons why I love doing this show, one of the reasons why I started this show is to try and, you know, um, surface a lot of companies, as many people, entrepreneurs and companies that are doing amazing things in sectors where, you know, people may not necessarily know the actual real details behind it, you know, and some of the statistics completely blew me away. You know, the, the beds being blocked and the fact that that's because people don't have anywhere to go was was astounding to me. 
Yeah, it's the single biggest reason that people can't get out of hospital. Um, I did a bit of analysis the other day on it, and it's it's extraordinary. Um, one in four of the people of the days that people are spent stuck in hospital is because they cannot get care in their own homes. Um, so the implications for the country are, are absolutely colossal, and the implications for us as a nation. You know, there's in my mind, there's almost no more important question for who are we as a society than what support do we give people when they can no look no longer look after themselves, and as and as people. There's no more profound question in how do you care for the people you most love, you know? Yeah. And so from a financial and a social perspective, it is the problem that I want to spend my time solving. And I think more and more people are realizing must be solved. Well, and I think that that as you, you know, the climate crisis is a good is a good kind of, um, you know, analogy in a sense, because both issues affect all of us by definition. You know, everyone has friends, family that will grow older. We will grow older. You know, it's it's cyclical. So in the same way as the climate crisis affects us all, this is something that does also affect us all, which is why we want to keep talking about it on the on the show. So um, when you were when when you and, and I, I don't know if you know, but last week we actually had a venture builder on the show, not zero one, but a, a different a different person called Kamet. And I think that that model is really interesting around they go off and do a huge amount of research around the sector and they actually help entrepreneurs sort of get get started so um seeing as we had the venture builder side last week like from your side was was would do you think that you could have got to where you are now had you not have encountered those people like would it have come together in the end or was it really a sort of a i don't know you know um the stars aligning I don't think we'd be where we are. It'd be a very different company, certainly. Whether I kind of would have found the confidence in maybe five or 10 years, maybe. Um, but I don't think we'd be where we are. Um, I think there's a huge, a huge amount they did. I mean, I didn't have any kind of tech background and they brought you know, the in-house tech developers for that. They helped me find my co-founder, Sam, which was brilliant. They helped us find initial capital. They did so much of the initial work. I, I, I do not think we'd be where we are and I'm profoundly grateful to them and they're still part of our journey. Um, so no, absolutely not. Um, so no, I, I think I think they're a huge force for good. I, I, yeah, I would agree. I, I think it makes a lot of sense that you have these entities out there that are doing a huge amount of research, have skills involved, particularly in health tech, actually, because the you know the the problems that we're all trying to solve are so large, and the you know the the, the infrastructure that we're trying to change is is so embedded that actually there's it's it's really hard to get going you know and actually having someone that can help you and support you through that sort of beginning period whether it's capital or resources or building an mvp or getting something out there it's actually really really valuable whereas in other sectors i feel like you can move a lot quicker a lot faster whereas in health tech you know there's a lot of hard yards that you've got to do before you can get something out there absolutely and the kind of mantra of move fast and break things absolutely does not work when you're looking after people's most vulnerable loved ones no, um, no that's not <laughs> that very much i'm guessing that isn't really the mantra that's on no, the, it's, the, it's the inverse the inverse okay. and, and also when you're operating in a regulated sector and i do think like sometimes people are reticent to innovate in a regulated sector but actually some of the most profound innovation can happen there um and i think i think absolutely the support of the venture builder has been has been really really important to make that happen um, and I know that your your co-founder, Sam Cohen, um, I actually know him through my brother-in-law, Peter Kent, which is yeah. how this kind of all came together. Um, Peter's been badgering me all week to say his name on the radio. So there we there we go. We can get back to the show. Um, so how did you. Um, so at that point, when you when all of this came together, that's still kind of a long way away from where you are now. Right. I mean, it's sort of I know that you've only been going for two years and you've delivered 150,000 plus hours of care and won all these awards and things like that. But um, what was that kind of transitional moment from 
okay, we've got an idea sort of into then having a company? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, I think we worked with a corporate um, who did the, they're anonymous, so I, I won't mention their name, but we worked with a corporate to get them off the ground. And together we sort of developed, okay, this is what we think we need to prove in each stage. And this is how we, and they gave us capital. And it's like, how do we unlock capital from them at each stage? Okay. Um, and then it was testing, you know, and the very first clients, you go out there and do it yourself. You know, I did the first first care assessments and you get registered with the regulator and you start producing the technology and you sort of see is there demand is there interest and then you start growing really quickly and you think oh, okay there's something here yeah. um, and then but I think what's really interesting about running a startup and, and we haven't really said much about what Lifted does so maybe I'll just take a second oh, and say, no. say what yeah, we do no, no 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 so don't worry there's a master plan okay. Okay? okay so we're okay. gonna in, in a minute or two we're gonna break we're gonna break for commercials and then after that we're gonna get right into right. what Lifted does but you feel free to set it up it's all good Okay, no, I'll set it maybe, up. Maybe you should be doing the show and not me. No, 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 I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. <laughs> All right, don't worry. Okay. No, no, I'm only saying that because what I was about to say next might not make much sense if you don't know what we do. So, you know, we care for people and we use technology to transform that experience in, in a nutshell. And I'll tell you how we do that in a minute. But I think what's interesting is that it, for me, running a startup every day, you're sort of running a marathon and a sprint at the same time because you've got a problem. It's an urgent problem that needs to be fixed. So you've got to fix it. But then you look at the horizon, you think, okay, but there's another 10, 15 of those problems coming over the horizon. Mm-hmm. And so the iteration from idea to company is about fixing each of those problems to the level that you require to get to the next stage. And then you have to fix it again because what yep. works for 10 clients doesn't work for 100 clients, doesn't work for 1,000 clients. So you've got to fix it at each level. So I think that that kind of process of testing and iteration and then building the team is what turns an idea into a company. I would agree. I mean, one of the things that I like to try and remind myself around is, is that, you know, that the, there's a, I don't know if you've ever read anything by Marcus Aurelius, but there's something that he says, which is really around the fact that problems are, you, you have to expect them, you know, and I, you, you, the whole, the whole aim of life is not to avoid problems. It's sort of to embrace the fact that there are problems and the problem is the way in effect. And, and I think that there's no greater analogy for running a startup, to be quite honest, because yeah. there's particularly in health tech in, in the sense that there's just so many things that you need to get right. Um, and there's, as you write, as you scale, there's just more and more and more that you need to do. And as you say, at the end of the day, you're dealing with people's lives. You know, this is not around, I don't know, the, the product might arrive a day or two late. This is something that can actually impact people's people's health. So, um, sorry, carry on. No, no, I, 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 I completely agree with you. And that is what McKinsey does teach you to do is to isolate the most important problems and fix them. And then the thing with my experience with my mum is, you know, this is such a profound experience that continues to affect me. This is not I had a difficult, disappointing experience ordering a hamburger once. This is the person I love most in the world now who doesn't know my name. You know, so and that interaction and that experience every day means that when I come to the problems, I'm always thinking of the customer. I'm always thinking about how the family feels. And I try to embed that throughout the company without putting too much pressure on, you know, what would Rachel's mum want? Um, because yeah. that yeah. could be challenging too. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah, you, yeah, I can imagine that's a bit of a conflict, right? Like in the sense of you, it, it must be very tempting to always want to ask that question, but but actually that may not necessarily be the right way to, you know, deliver the, the the volume of care that you're trying to deliver exactly and everyone's experience is unique and I don't want to bring mine to the detriment of other people but I think that yeah. drive and that passion is what I try to instill in everyone and, and we're very lucky that we find loads of people that want to join our journey that that passion lives through them in the same way that it lives through me and it lives through all the people that we support cool well look on that note we're going to take two minutes just to break for some commercial messages and then after that we will be back with Rachel Crook CEO and founder of Lifted award-winning award-winning home care company and then we will get into all of the stuff that lifted do so we will be right back 
vitamin C supplements. Usually only a small proportion of vitamin C actually reaches your cells and has a positive effect. Whereas the high absorption levels of Goldman Laboratories liposomal vitamin C help maintain optimal vitamin C levels in your body and strengthen your immune system. Now get 10% off when you choose Goldman Laboratories liposomal vitamin C capsules. Just quote 10 off at goldmanlaboratories.com. Do you suffer from pain? B-Cure Laser, a home-use CE-approved medical device for the effective treatment of pain, is now available in the UK. The results of a double-blind trial has shown that B-Cure Laser offers a significant reduction in pain compared to the placebo group. To get your special B-Cure offer now, call free on 0808 501 5122 or Google Radio Pro London. B-Cure Laser. B-Cure Laser. The station that makes you feel good. Hello, and welcome back to this week's Health Tech Hour uh, with me, Steve Roost, and Rachel Crook, who's the CEO and founder of Lifted, an early stage health tech company on a mission to revolutionize home care. So, Rachel, before we broke for the commercial messages, you were going to go into all of the fantastic stuff that Lifted is doing to revolutionize the home care market. So let's start with how would you explain to the listeners what Lifted does? Thank you so much. Yes, as you say, we're on a, on a mission to fix the crisis in care by revolutionizing home care. Um, and we aim to use technology to transform the experience of home care. So our essence, we are trying to build digital branding care. So we care for people in their homes and we've built a care management platform, which is a collective of three apps that we've built, um, which uses technology um, to try and improve the quality of the experience of care for families and for carers. So families can download an app from us. They can answer a few questions and then our algorithm predicts for them advice about care then we provide care for them, keep them up to date with their loved one's care, collect data about how their loved one is feeling and use that to improve the quality of the experience for the carer, for the family member. And going forward, we want to use machine learning to automate as much as we can of the care delivery experience in order to help people achieve their goals. And then alongside that, we also run and offer support for people living with dementia. So we have a community of 50,000 people that we support living with dementia. We offer free advice to them through our dementia advisor in-house, and we offer a shop for online products and services living with people with dementia. So that's that's what we're trying to do. And really what we want to do long-term is become the complete companion for anyone caring for a loved one so that no one goes to the experience of looking after care alone. Okay, that's a lot of stuff. So <laughs> let's just, let's just, no, it's good. let's try and unpack that a little bit. What I want to just yeah. try, obviously I'm sure lots of people listening have, have you know, had to care for people or, or, or have relatives or, you know, friends and that have had to interact with social care, home care. But just to, to, to just to go back a second, so what, what I'm interested in, firstly to understand is that your care management platform, which is the series of three apps um, for carers, for families. I'm not quite sure what the third one is, but the, broadly for those for the, that care management platform. Wh- why is that or how is that different to what has come before? Like what what is the alternative or, or lack thereof of, of that? Do you see what I mean? Like what's the comparison here? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the third one is, is, is the operational, is the care managers that are uh, in the office that are providing that experience. 
Um, so in terms of what the alternative is, the alternative really is a traditional home care company, um, the vast majority of which have got less than 50 clients. So you've got um, 11,000 home care companies in the country, 95% of them have got less than 50 clients. Um, wow. Um, Wait yeah. a second. Is that, so that's, that's how, that just as an example, that's how fragmented yeah. the market yeah. is. So there are, just to just back up a second. So there are, do you say 11,000 home care companies? Yeah. And, and on average, they deal with less than 50 people, 50 clients, 50 individuals. Exactly right. Exactly right. Wow. Wow. Exactly right. So tiny, you know, very small businesses trying to deliver complex operational services. Um, you know, and, and care is complicated. People go from A to B. There's lots of information to transform, to, to, to communicate in that experience. Um, so in terms of what makes it different, so we're the first care company in the world to offer you free care advice through a mobile phone. So you can start your whole journey on a mobile phone. Our long-term vision is to make it completely possible for you to manage and book care completely on your phone, to then have complete transparency over your loved one's care, but also to use data to collect and improve the performance of carers. At the okay. moment, at the moment, a lot of information just gets lost, and that information is really valuable to show the carers that their work matters. So and just to, just to, just to break in there, so what are you basically saying that um, because a lot of care is delivered in an analog way, in, in effect, that there's information about the person that they're caring for that that isn't captured somehow, and that could be used to either improve the experience of the carer or improve the quality of care. Is that, is that right? Spot on. Took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah, that, that, by the way, just for everyone listening, that actually wasn't in um, the information that Lifted shared with us. That was my own interpretation of it. Well, it's very um, well done. <laughs> so, um, but, but is, is, is that really, I mean, and how, how pervasive is that, is that problem around this information being lost and not being filtered back to kind of improve the quality of care? Absolutely colossal. Um, so, you know, despite the fact that there are 11,000 companies in the country, there is yet to be a very conclusive set of evidence that proves that the interventions that happen in people's homes improve their quality of life, um, which is a pretty extraordinary thing to occur. Um, yeah. So the, so the UKRI, UK Research Institute, has just commissioned a piece of research that tries to say what is the evidence that home care keeps people well and healthy? Because intuitively it all makes sense, right? But if you don't collect data that shows the impact of the care you're delivering, it's very difficult to make that argument. Um, right. And similarly, you talked a little bit about the workforce crisis. And, you know, there are, as you said, 100,000 vacancies every day for carers. 40% of carers will churn on an annual basis and 80% of carers think society does not respect them. Sorry, have reported being close to burnout. Right. So the other side of the coin is how do you show carers that the work they're doing makes a difference? And so right. one of the ways that we do that is we have lifted moments. And the idea behind lifted moments is that every carer that goes into someone's home gets shown a menu of ways to engage with that person. Um, and in the future, we want to use machine learning to make those ways unique and personalized to the, the actual individual. But right now, it's, they're based on a set of um, expectations that we've collected from the people that we support. Um, when they choose to engage with one of those methods, then they collect what we call a lifted moment. They share it with the family and the family give feedback back to them to say thank you for the work they've done. And it's not rocket science, right? That's not laser driven AI sensors in your home. But what it is, is a mechanism to demonstrate to carers that the work they do is the most important work that can be done and to show them that the contribution they're making matters and to show the family that it matters. And that does two things. One, it gives peace of mind to the family. Two, it gives us structured data about how that person wants to be supported that we can then link with clinical outcomes in the future. So it does three things, make a point. And the third thing is that it helps us retain the carer, which is really vital yeah, in the sector. I, 
Yeah, I was going to come on to what your thoughts are around the staff crisis, but I think that 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 is a really unique, you know, based on what I've I've sort of heard, you know, initial research from the show around, you know, the, the, the idea of trying to help carers have a better quality of of um, work, I guess, in, in effect, to try and make them feel more valued for the incredibly valuable work that they do, I think is a really unique take on the on the problem. Yeah, I think it is the problem. Um, it is the problem the care sector faces. You know, if you had to boil it down to one thing, what what stops care companies being able to grow its workforce? Um, and it's not surprising that like, carers have been massively maligned and devalued. And I think the last couple of years has proven to us that we cannot afford to not invest in the people that we're trusting to look after the people that we love. Um, and so that's why our technology is designed to basically solve both sides of the equation, the carer and the family member. And it, is it, re- I mean, I, I'm sure it must be true because you're, you're saying it, but the, the, the idea of being able to book care through a phone, that again, doesn't strike me as like, you know, we're not trying to put a man on Mars here. You know what I mean? Is that, is, 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 that's great, right? Don't get me wrong. That like, that's phenomenal. But is that sort of, that's where the sector is, if you, if you see what I'm saying? Yeah, um, to be, I mean, regulated care, right? So you can go and you can kind of find um, an unregulated self-employed person online. Again, you can't right. really do it through your phone. But to try and bring to the mainstream high quality care that is deliverable through your phone, that you keep up to date with it, that family members all over the world can stay in touch with, um, is, is revolutionary. Now, that we're not stopping there. Of course we're not. But I, I, this is something I do think is interesting. You know, I, I get asked all the time, like, you know, what about sensors? What about mm. um, all, all these kind of other mechanisms? Yeah, what, what, what about automated, you know, UTI detection? Like if someone goes to the toilet more often, does that, do we have some AI in the background that detects the toilet flush and then, you know, that, exactly. et cetera, that type of thing? Well, the first thing I'll say to that is your most important sensor is the carer, right? The most important person who provides the information is the carer. So you don't invest and treat that carer with respect and education and use our technology to improve their quality experience. You don't, you don't well, get the right I, to play. I, well, I think there's two, there's two things, aren't there? One is, are you treating that person with respect so that they're engaged with their job and, and that they want to help improve the quality of care? Or are they just sort of so demotivated because, and you know, arguably rightly because of, of, of the way people generally treat them? Um, and then the other one is, uh, do, do you have a, a digital mechanism, an easy app-based system to just capture little bits of information like that and pass them on to somebody that can then make a decision about them? I think that's like, that is really revolutionary. Exactly. And so we collect five data points of every person that we see on a daily basis and we map those data points and we look for patterns in that data. Um, and I think what what's interesting is, you know, I obviously spend a lot of time around the founders and I have a huge amount of respect for, for, for deep tech, but I do often think that sometimes we miss, like you don't need all these kind of different forms of technology to transform an experience. It can just be as simple as how do we bring these tools to a sector that's been so ignored? Um, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, again, it, 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 you know, before we start to try and put a man on Mars, let's, let's try and figure out some of the low hanging fruit here, which is sort of, carers feel undervalued how do we make them feel more valued um you know within within the levers that we have to move you know and then how they're obviously spending time with patients let's make sure that the observations that they are having are captured and see where that gets us before we you know talk about like installing 
you know, automated sensors in everyone's house, which don't get me wrong, that might be where we go. And that would be upside, you know, that would be helpful, right? But but it shouldn't be at the expense of ignoring the human factor. Absolutely. And, and the idea is the two should work symbolically, right? Like care is delivered as a team sport. So it should be your family member, it should be the carer, and then at some point, maybe you add in the sensor. Um, but the point is that if you don't have a system that connects and engages those people and those entities, then you're, you're not going to be able to get to the next the next level. You know, and, yeah. and, and that vision has been transformative. As you say, we've been going two and a half years. We've raised eight million pounds in investment, we've delivered 150,000 hours of care. We've got a team of over 100 people working for us. Um, and, you know, we're very delighted to have, to have recently, you know, been demonstrated that that innovation is making a difference at the Languison Awards and being and named the best home care company. Um, and our approach is very much to say, let, let's look at the real problem the sector faces, which is the workforce crisis, and let's tackle our innovation at, at that challenge. Yeah, and I think you're, 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 you're saying, look, we, we are where we are, we can do what we can do, and this is our solution to that crisis, in, in, in effect, which I think is very, very pragmatic, very sensible. Um, so for everyone listening, uh, I'm sure lots of people listening, as I've said, will have interacted with social care, they might need home care, they might have friends that they know how from i think let's start from a you know family slash patient side or user side i'm not quite sure how you would you describe the people that you that you work with um how, how do they interact with lifted what's their journey what what do they do like from 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 the from the basics sure so you can find us in multiple ways so we run let's say we run an online community so you can join our, our facebook group and um, we've got two we've got one lifted which is caring for loved ones and we've got the lifted dementia support group and we support over nine thousand people in those groups you can download our app um, which is a lifted care app on android and on um and on apple um and you can um give us information about care and we'll generate for you personalized recommendations then usually people want to speak to us because we're often making significant investments in people's care because we'll set up programs that run for a long time. Then we start caring for them um, and through their mobile phone, they're able to get updates when the carers arrive and leave. They're able to see the data of their loved one's health. They collect these lifted moments and give feedback to the carers. And then on the back end, we're automating a lot of that. So for example, if someone leaves us a low review, it's automatically alerting our team and we're able to spot patterns and understand why that's happened and address the quality of care. Um, and 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 also able to share that information with lots of different family members. And so for many people, you know, the interaction is kind of keeping up to date with the app, but the real benefit is that you know your loved one is being cared for by one of our carers, and you know that we're acting on and learning on all the information as we go so that we can address that um, as we as, as the care needs change. I mean, that, that sounds absolutely, sounds, sounds fantastic. Um, so what has the reaction been like, either from carers or from families or from you know, the people that are being cared for, what, what, what's the feedback been so far? I mean, it's been incredibly positive. Um, over 95% of our reviews on Trustpilot are five stars, which obviously we're really proud of. Um, we had our first regulatory inspecting by the Care Quality Commission, which was mm-hmm. scary, but we did really well. So that was brilliant. Um, obviously, we, we've, we've mentioned some of the awards that we've won, um, you know, and, and we've had people really talk about how we've transformed their lives. You know, we had we started looking after a gentleman last week who just rang the office. His mum, actually, he rang the office to say, you've no idea that the weight that's taken off me and my family. Um, which is really amazing. We have another family. I actually did the care assessment myself because it was right back at the beginning. um, And we looked after her now for almost two and a half years. 
Um, and we started off looking after her and then very sadly her husband became unwell and we had the enormous privilege to support him through the final weeks of his life. So we gave him end of life care and supported that family um, and now we still care for her. So it's a whole journey that we go on with families and we want to be with them from that moment of diagnosis right through into the end of someone's life or their transition into a care home if that's the appropriate option for them. And it, you know, it's a huge privilege to be able to lift people's lives. That's why we're called Lifted. <laughs> that's, yeah, that makes sense. Um, and what specifically around the technology piece of it, have you had feedback from a potential, I guess, probably families and carers around around the value of that versus not doing it, which I'm guessing some of these carers may well have worked in care for a while, worked in different environments, you know, worked for the kind of small care, you know, companies and things like that. Like what has their sort of feedback been around your innovative sort of technology driven to, to you know, platform driven approach? Yes, yeah, so, I mean, almost all the reviews specifically mention it and they say, you know, it helps us have peace of mind, it helps us stay in control, it helps us feel that there's kind of competent quality in a context where maybe there's a lack of information, which is really important. Um, our care return rate last year was half the industry average, so the impact okay. that we're having on carers is pretty pretty substantial. Um, That's and, amazing. Yeah, and more than 50% of customers double their hours with us in the first three months. So. Wow we've really been able to show that, you know, our impact is, is, is meaningful. Um, and, and in terms of our NPS scores consistently above 80. So, you know, really able to demonstrate the impact of that. And as I say, like, you know, we're, we're a little startup with big dreams. We're just at the beginning of that journey. So as yeah. we build the platform and as we add more and more features that help to improve that quality of experience, we expect those metrics to improve further. That, yeah, I would, I would expect so. And um, what, if, if I'm sure that apart from the kind of general starting a business obstacles, which, you know, exist, whichever business you start, has there been what have, have, there, have there been any obstacles or challenges really, or even any kind of pushback from 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 more established people in this industry around what you're trying to do? Because when you explain it like this on the show, and it just makes total sense. But I'm guessing it's not necessarily kind of as easy as that. So I always ask people that come on the show like this, this type of a question, trying to understand what sort of pushback, what what obstacles or challenges have there have there been? Um, apart from obviously they're like, it's really hard to start a business because it's really hard to start a business. Well, Steve, the pandemic has had a significant impact on our ability to operate. So I think there's, I mean, maybe we put the barriers into to two elements. I guess the first is in terms of industry barriers. To be honest, the reception of the industry has been very positive. Um, everyone thinks that the digitization of social care needs to happen. I think where people are on that journey is pretty limited. So a lot of people are like, well, I'll just take this form and I'll turn it into an online form and that's digitization. You're like, okay, fine, that doesn't really transform the experience. And I think that there's, there's not many people that are thinking the way we're thinking about trying to do it for both sides of the equation. Um, I think most people are really excited about it. I think they're kind of hesitant to see, like, are you able to scale it rapidly? Because in general, providers that have entered the sector, even VC-backed ones, have found they can't scale. And they've had to go to M&A as a route of growth quickly. Um, so that I think, and, you know, it's probably too early for us to, to say that. I can tell you all the reasons I think we will. But it's, 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 that, that's kind of for us to prove. Yeah. Um, in general, people are really excited about what we're doing. I think there is, in general, a real feeling in the sector that like, it's been ignored for a long time. People are tired. It's hard to have excitement and energy. It's not just a crisis of carers. It's also a crisis of managers. You know, 25% of care manager vacancies exist right now. So that's one in four companies that are constantly dealing with rotating leaders. Um, and that's a real challenge as well. So there's a real opportunity there. Um, and then there are some other barriers around COVID, but maybe I'll save that for after the break. Well, I mean, yeah, obviously it's the, it's the thing that we, you know, we, is, is affected everybody. Um, 
But yes, that's a good idea. Why don't we go for a commercial break and then we can come back and we can talk around, um, we can talk a bit more around how COVID's impacted your business, a bit more around what the future holds, um, you know, and some of the lessons and advice that you might want to sort of pass on. So um, we will be right back with Rachel after this short break. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. Scalar light is the quantum energy emitted from the universe, from the sun and stars. Now, Tom Palladino, a humanitarian and scalar light researcher, has created the world's only scalar light healing system, a system that can bring long-distance healing and wellness to humans, pets, and plants via a photograph. Get your free 15-day trial now at scalarlight.com or click on the Scalar Light banner on the UK Health Radio website. Shields like masks are top of mind right now. But did you know you have inner armor working constantly to protect you from pathogens? It keeps you healthy and thriving. It's your immune system. Ion Gut triggers the body's natural ability to support gut strength all year long, so your immune system can protect you when you need it the most. How are you treating your inner armor? Visit uk.ionbiome.com to learn more. Ion Gut. Protect what protects you. The station that makes you feel good. Hello and welcome back to the final part of this week's Health Tech Hour with Rachel Crook from Lifted, CEO and founder of Lifted, who are revolutionizing sorry, the home care sector. So before the break, we were going to get, <clears throat> get into how COVID had kind of let's say posed a small you know wrinkle speed bump in the in the in the way that you might deliver your your services so what happened how and how, how did you quite well quite evidently you've you've thrived um as a result but what how, how did you guys deal with it what was the impact um yes yeah, so it's, i mean it's been profoundly challenging um as you as you can imagine i think the first immediate priority was keeping everyone safe you know, we look after vulnerable people. They are most at risk of COVID. We also look after um, our carers who are going into vulnerable people's homes and keeping both sets of people really safe um, was the first and most important priority. And that included, you know, makeshift PPE stations. So Sam, my co-founder, had a PPE station packing in his house that he'd send the PPE across the whole country. Um, we also had a relationship with the local hospital where Sam took them Georgian meatballs and they gave us face masks. Only their extra ones. I want to, to want to add. We didn't steal <laughs> face masks from doctors. Someone commented when we posted about it. Good to know. It was, kind of, it was kind of the most immediate bit. Kind of more strategically, you know, it has been challenging because People are nervous about having carers in their home in the first place. And they're even more nervous in the context of a pandemic, understandably. And they want carers vaccinated. And that's been challenging because there's real hesitancy among some of our carers. Um, but I think the real positive thing is that the social care crisis has come out from underneath the rock. You mm-hmm. know, and everyone is now talking about social care. And thanks to the new health and social care levy, everyone will contribute a portion of their care packet to social care. And they yep. recognise that the health system cannot function without an effective social care system. And so people's willingness to talk about care, to get engaged in what we're doing, our ability to attract talent to come and work for Lifted is ever increasing. So that's been a really positive element of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And um, you kind of highlighted it there. 
do you do you have a position on the, the issue of vaccinations in, in, in you know how, how are you guys handling that because again when we had Fergus and Matthew on you know their their opinion was that it was not really helping the staffing crisis they were pro vaccine personally but but that is a that the reality of their situation they were looking at 10% of their workforce sort of you know potentially leaving which obviously exacerbates the issues that they were trying to deal with but i don't know where you guys stand on that um, so my, my our position on the vaccine is that if you come to join Lifted now, you either have to be vaccinated or commit to get vaccinated very soon after. Um, okay. Our the, the work that we've done with our existing carers is to try and listen and understand their barriers. You know, and I remember um, back in January, we were called one day by the NHS and said, everyone in Lifted can come and have their vaccines today. Um, oh. Which was like, OK, well, that's great. We're going to have a bit of heads up. All right. Yeah, thanks, and thanks it, for the notice. But, and you it was know, a, appreciate Appreciate you're a bit busy, but still, thank you. Yeah, and it was a Saturday morning. Okay. Um, uh, But I rang up the carers and said, you know, this is great. I was so excited. I couldn't wait for the vaccine. And a lot of them were like, well, I'm really scared. Am I going to be able to get pregnant? That was a real big concern from lots of women. Um, And it was interesting, right, because my first response is, well, I mean, there's no evidence that you wouldn't be able to get pregnant. Um, But the other part of me thinks it's not helpful for me not not to listen to people. And so our whole approach has been to try and listen to people's concerns and then address them and try and address them from people that they trust. So the vast vast majority of carers in London are women of colour. It's not that helpful for me as a white woman to tell them what I think. It's helpful sometimes to get someone that they trust and they respect. So, you know, we went and found um, nurses from ethnic minority communities to come and speak to people and talk to them about their concerns. And our vaccination rate now is is in the 90 percentile, which is great. Um, But on the 1st of April next year, it will become compulsory. So we have Mm -hmm. got a bit more of a job to do to get everyone vaccinated by the beginning of April. Um, my perspective from a government on the kind of policy is that is you're right like it it is it does make it more difficult I can also see the real rationale for it um and I think in the care home sector it has increased the number of people that got vaccinated I mean the reality is there's so much more we need to do to fix the staffing crisis this doesn't help it's true um, but it probably doesn't hinder as long as we do the other stuff as well yeah Um, and so what what, um what are some of the things that you need to that you think should be done to try and alleviate the staffing crisis? Because a lot of the conversations around social care seem to sort of spiral around this issue of staffing, you know? So what, uh, yeah, what, what are your sort of thoughts on that? Yeah, so I think at a systemic level, the and, and I hate, when I was in government, I absolutely hated it when people said just spend more money because often you would go to them and say, okay, well, what would you spend it on? And where's the evidence that you get an ROI? And they couldn't give you good yeah. answers. But in the social care context, it is absolutely the case that 80% of care is paid for by the government. Um, okay. And the, the wages, the rate that the government is paying is not enough for the care companies to make a profit and therefore be financially sustainable. Right. And therefore they cannot pay their workers properly. Now, that Lifted doesn't have that problem because we've chosen to operate in a particular section of the market. We don't have that problem. But overall, we cannot solve the staffing crisis if the government does not pay a higher rate per hour to carers. That's just non-negotiable. Right. The second thing that we need to do is we need to invest properly in training and progression. So that when carers come into the sector, the best ones don't leave to go and become nurses, which is quite often what happens. And it's great because you get great nurses. It's not great for the social care system. The third thing that needs to happen is we need to invest in managers. Um, You know, it's it's not sexy to talk about how important managers and leaders are. But remember, I said to you before, 11,000 home care companies, 95% and less than 50 clients. Those are being held together by what are called registered managers, care managers. And there's so little support and investment in them that they leave the sector. Right. They get burned out and they don't. I mean, because that that job probably is quite difficult. It's brutal. 
it's brutal um, and and it's super important to support them and then I think the third piece is in general social care is just not seen as the sexy important place to go and lots of smart people will go into medicine and the NHS but they won't go into social care mm. and we need a whole reckoning which I think is happening around teaching lots of very talented people go and become teachers now I think we need this whole reckoning around if you've got talent you've got energy you want to bring it to tackle a social problem come into the care sector because it's yeah. growing massively and it really needs more amazing people and right, of no, course yeah sorry no go I, no, finish finish your train of thought well I should say and then of course the last piece to that is tying it all in through technology so helping track people's progression through technology helping them reward them through app-based systems and um, helping connect carers and giving them a sense of community on their mobile phones so they don't feel isolated when they're out there with a client who's vulnerable or aggressive so the whole piece around technology that takes those principles and those systems that we set up and makes them scalable is, is also the missing link and of course that's yeah. a lift of what we're trying to do yeah and I think that or I you know I would I would sort of posit the theory that the companies like yours, startups with a lot of energy, you know, a lot of motivation and private investment, you know, nice, cool brands, great stories, good narratives. All of that will hopefully reinvigorate the sector, irrespective of whichever part of the social care sector that they get involved in, whether it's, you know, the bit that you're dealing with or maybe, that you know, there might be some. And it sounds like there's a huge amount of to, to do on like, you know, corporate staff wellness, staff well-being. There's a huge amount to do on reporting, tracking, you know, efficiencies, workflows, all that, you know, process type stuff that's actually the NHS actually has done really quite well, I think, in the last 10 years in in actually um, stimulating digital health investment. So our company, PocDocs, just finished the digital health, um, the, the NHS Digital Accelerator. There's the National Innovation Accelerator. There's the Clinical Entrepreneurship Program. You know, and, and so there's, they, they recognized, I think, 10, 15 years ago that there was a huge you know, gulf between where innovation was happening and, and, and where the NHS was. And so I wonder whether that's really what has to happen in social care. You know, and, and, and actually, if you see a lot of the buzz and a lot of the energy around you know, the NHS, that it, it, it's it's not you know nhsx launching and all these type of things nhs digital it's all around this interplay between private enterprise and you know public provision absolutely completely agree with you and and i mean the pace of innovation in, in the nhs has has been impressive it could always be faster um <laughs> uh, as i'm sure you, I'm, I'm sure you feel as someone kind of trying to sell the nhs but i think from a social care perspective absolutely like we're just decades behind where we need to be um and i think the integration of health and social care the creation of integrated health and social care systems is really important um and i think we'll take that forward but as i say like my my rallying cries as you said like more people need to need to care about this problem and need to come into the steps to try and fix it because it, it is vital yeah let's get people starting some companies i mean i think that that's you know one of one of the that i'm a big believer that private enterprise can is the is the quickest most efficient route to innovation and that that innovation can then be scaled for the you know for the for the greater good or incorporated into the nhs and that's really the model that the nhs has taken on you know instead of trying to create digital innovation itself it's created this kind of ecosystem you know kitchen garden for want of a better word where it invites private enterprises in stimulates private enterprise and then takes the best of them um, and fast tracks them through the through, through the organization. Now, you could argue about how fast that fast track is, right? You know, could it be faster? You know, is it a hundred meter sprint, or are we really talking more about a marathon? But but ultimately, there, you know, that that's really where they have gone. And I, it sounds it sounds like you might agree that that's where the social care sector needs to get to. 
Absolutely. And I think we also need to build on the talented people that have you know, been in the sector for 20 years and know what they're talking about. I think there's a, sometimes a temptation, and I'm sure I've been guilty of it when you start a startup to think, well, I just come into the sector and, and do it all differently. And actually, there's a huge amount of knowledge and talent that if you support people and unlock it, that innovation combined with the that knowledge, sorry, combined with the power of, of innovative startups is, is incredibly powerful. Yeah. Um, but you need and, both sides. And I think that, that, you know, there's always this kind of tendency when you're you know talking about startups is to talk about disruption you know disrupting a sector and how you're going to disrupt it and actually when you're dealing particularly with health I I think it's there's a you want to try and disrupt in an extremely positive collaborative manner you know this is not about you know uber launching and completely destroying the the black cab market right like there are we're dealing with humans and human factors and there's huge there's massive volumes of people already working in this space with huge amounts of training and it's a regulated sector and things like that that actually yes come in with new ideas come in and disrupt but do it in a way which is like you know holistic and, and, and contributes to the, the overall positivity yeah and i maybe even think of it disrupt maybe doesn't feel like a word to me it's more like unleash you know unleash yeah. the power that exists um, and empower people with with the skills of technology and with the, with the ability to solve problems and the way to think about those problems differently. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, I would agree. Like unleash the power of digitization. Yeah. So what's next for Lifted? What's next in the next 12, 18 months? Well, so many things are next for Lifted. Um, we've got a 5x the business. That's the goal. 5x revenue in the next 18 months, which is what we want to achieve and I think is definitely achievable. We want to develop our platform so that we are putting machine learning techniques at the heart of how we empower our carers and how we empower our customers. And we want to link the care that we deliver to clinically validated outcomes. So that's really exciting. Um, we want to build our community. Of say, so we support 50,000 people today. We want to double that. Um, so there's a lot of work to do there. And we really want to expand the business. So currently we offer hourly visiting care in London and we offer living care across the country. We want to expand that further. Um, and we want to put more effort and more energy into how we make sure that the care experience itself is more innovative. Um, and then in terms of our team, you know, one of the brilliant things about a fundraising round is you can recruit in some new leaders. So we've just attracted some fantastic leaders um, from other people in the sector, some of which we can share, some of which we're going to share soon. Um, and it'd be really exciting to build that cadre of people who are really aligned behind our mission as we seek to scale it and really seek to transform that experience for everyone i mean that sounds pretty exciting sounds like you've got some pretty pretty big goals but i'm sure you're gonna sure you'll get there so the last bit that we do on the show so we've got a few minutes left what kind of lessons or behaviors or you know advice would you pass on from your journey that sort of you that you've kind of you feel like you've you've held true to that have that have that have led you to this to this place I mean, there's so many lessons. Um, I think when I first started, I didn't know what I didn't know. So like, and I I think particularly about, you know, on a personal level of how to be a good CEO, I think my understanding of what the role of a CEO is changes daily. Um, And I think that learning is really important. I think surrounding yourselves with people who are just a little bit further ahead in the journey is like really important. I think too far ahead, it becomes inaccessible, inaccessible, sorry, too I think one of my frustrations around women founders groups is there's quite a lot of groups of women founders who are running very, very small businesses. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're trying to run a slightly bigger business, it's hard to find that network. So I think, yeah. finding, and, I, and I'm not sure I found it. So like, you know, I'm, I'm always really happy to talk to people who are kind of in that stage and um, yeah. all women. So that's important. I think, um, I think that marathon sprint thing that I talked about earlier is really important. I think I've had a tendency to think, well, I'll just solve this problem and it'll get easier. I'll just solve this problem and it'll get easier. And I kind of realizing that like, 
running a startup is in a perpetual state of, of kind of in, in uncertainty and getting comfortable with that certainty and working out what you need to do for your mental health, for your team's mental health, um, for your own resilience is really important. So I have a coach. I find that really helpful. Um, I think putting boundaries around it, you know, I could go home every day and talk about lifted and I have done that a lot and I need to try and do less of that, I think is important. <laughs> um, and I think the other thing is like, it's not easy to do straight away, but as soon as you can, bringing in leaders that own their sections of the business that you really trust and you really empower is absolutely vital. Like we've only started doing it really in the last few months and it's just transformational. Um, and then the things I think I have got right, because I think I've got some things right, I think having passion for the problem you're solving, like I could not be more passionate about this problem and that keeps me going. Like it feels it sounds cheesy but it feels like a calling it doesn't feel like a choice it feels like something I feel compelled to solve um and if that if you don't have that you just I just don't think you'll get through the really difficult days I just don't like it's too difficult to try and start something from nothing and make something work so I think really caring about the problem that you're trying to solve is is really important um that's one thing and then I think like trying to keep that mission alive in the team and constantly reminding people that we are, we are here to lift lives. That is why we are here. And how do we do it? We do it through using technology to revolutionize home care. And why does that matter? Because it's a systemic industry crisis that's affecting all of us. And that narrative, like continually repeating it to people and finding people for whom it means something in their soul, I think is, is really important. Um, so those are some of the, some of the lessons I've got. What about you, Steve? Do any of those resonate for you? Yeah. I mean, the, the, you know, I, I have the same kind of internal debate with myself around, you know, how to be the best CEO that I can be, you know, and I, I actually think weirdly that that debate is probably one of the things that marks out a good CEO, I, I would think, you know, that desire to be as good as you can be. And am I doing what I need to be doing? Am I looking after the team correctly? Am I focused on the right areas? Like that sort of constant, um, constant running of an evaluation in the head and, and you know, run, run, you know, running the tab in your head to figure out, okay, well, you know, what's the state of play? Where am I needed most? As, as well as understanding that there are some things that really the CEO has to sort of take a, take a lead on. I think I would completely agree with you there. I think that, like I was saying earlier, the acceptance of, of problems, I think is pretty, pretty key. I mean, I, I, you know, this is not my first sort of venture, so I was pretty, pretty used to that before, but, but certainly <clears throat> doing doing this in health tech, you know, certainly um, there are certainly a lot of challenges that exist in the sector that make it particularly tricky, particularly hard to get ventures off the ground and to scale them. And so that acceptance and kind of embedding that 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 calmness that when you do have a problem that, you know, that you know, by definition, you have a problem, you find a solution, you have a problem, you find a solution. You know, it's, there's there's no need to panic. There's no need to sort of, you know, I don't know, throw the toys out the pram ultimately every problem will have some kind of a solution and understanding that that is going to happen and also trying to project that level of 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 um, mentality onto your team so that they understand that there will always be a solution and that, that and to your point around empowering people the the only way to scale is to get good people into a company you know that, that that's the only way to do it if you if you can't get good people into a company and, and with you it's <clears throat> from the carers right the way up to this <clears throat> sorry I've got a cough to the senior level the um you, you're going to find it very hard to scale it's the same with us you know whether we need more lab scientists or whether we need you know more business development people or whatever it happens to be um without that then then it becomes impossible because ultimately however good you are as a ceo you can't carbon copy yourself you know you need to build that team around you yeah absolutely absolutely and and it's not i think it's easy to say you want to empower your team for me the journey of how you do that is something that i'm constantly trying to work on and i try to say to my team like 
this is my first rodeo to see you, right? Like, yeah. I know you believe in me, otherwise you wouldn't have come to work for me, which is brilliant. Um, but I, I will get it all right. And I need you to tell me when I'm not getting it right. And I think that's really important. Perfect. Well, look, Rachel Crook, thank you very much for coming on the show. Rachel Crook, CEO and founder of Lifted, revolutionizing the home care market. If you want to find out more, go to their website or download the app. Um, thank you for coming on the show. And thanks to everyone for listening. Thank you so much.